Welcome back to The Corresponding Author with John Michelle and Stephanie Hicks. Today we interviewed Amanda Mandy Mejia from the Statistics Department at Indiana University. Enjoy. Welcome. Thank you, John and Stephanie. We're extremely excited to have you here. Your first guest. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess we're going to jump into it. So I think we're going to ask, uh, how, do you, how do you define data science? So I don't have a very strict definition, but I think in my mind, data science is a combination of applied statistics and um, kind of clever coding. I would say those are kind of the two main ingredients to me. Um, So I think that it tries to take kind of the most useful and predictive aspects of statistics and mix that with kind of the, the most cutting edge and useful aspects of like mostly I would say R coding, um, a lot of deep plier, Hadley Wickham flavored stuff and produce useful things. I like that, I like that clever coding. I'm I know. a clever coder, that's what I'm gonna say. I think clever, yeah, I think cleverness is a big part of being a data scientist. If you had to describe in words what you mean by clever statistics or clever coding, what would you mean? So I think uh, with the clever coding, I would say you want to be able to manipulate data very kind of easily and seamlessly, and there's a great appreciation for the tools that make that um, make that possible. So I feel like I'm already starting to show my academic age because there's these new um, there are these new dplyr tools or not dplyr there are these new tidyverse tools out there that I'm you know I, I I'm not really familiar with and seem kind of newfangled to me. Oh, you guys, um, did you guys see the, the thing recently about, like, Gather going away, possibly? Or, no, I think, I, I think, I think they made a blog post being very adamant. It was it's not, not going, going away. away. It's yeah, not going there away. There were just new functions yeah. also appearing. Like, but it was like... Why pivot why long? Why pivot long? Yeah. Okay, so, but it was like a big hurrah, and I had never heard of the Gather function. Okay. And I used to be right. all up on all the D-plier things and the tidyverse things. I've seen your graphics. Yeah, so... Yeah, I was um, all about the cutting edge stuff when I was a PhD student, but I feel like I've let it slide a little bit. But I've, yeah. but you know, seeing those tools um, being used by some of my collaborators, I can definitely see their utility, and you know, probably need to get brushed back up myself. Um, but I think that appreciation for those tools that make manipulating data very kind of easy and seamless is very important. Um, and then in terms of clever use of statistics, I think that. Um, you really want to extract insight from data. And so maybe you're not quite as concerned about the kind of theoretical um, aspects or necessarily being um, super, you know, methodologically innovative, but you really want to find something that works and that gives you insight from data. I think to me, that would be the fundamental goal of data science. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good definition, but I've seen, I know you, you can manipulate data, right? I know, I know you can, I've seen, I've seen you do it. So, um, yeah, I, it's an interesting distinction though. But you did just have a paper in the Journal of the American Statistical Association, JAZA, which is a one of our like flagship uh, journals, and it, that is it was a bit methodological. So if you want to talk about that, sure. Yeah. So this is my, this is my first JAZA. So I was pretty excited about it. Thank you. So this is um, probably represents for me an evolution a bit more towards traditional. Uh, methodological statistics, but I still remain very much towards the applied end of the spectrum. And so this was a paper um, talking about how we can extract greater insight from functional MRI data by putting the data in a format that um, 
where the dependent structure between the locations is a lot more well-behaved. And so the models that we use to leverage spatial dependencies can actually be applied without kind of a wink of the eye. Um, so, you know, that we actually believe that the dependent structure is better captured by the model or reasonably captured by the model. And so um, doing that is, is challenging because the data is in this kind of complex uh, triangular mesh format um, representing a manifold structure along the surface. And so we're using these kind of newer tools within the realm of spatial statistics and Bayesian statistics to um, both you know, have a model that actually can be applied, but then to do the computation in a reasonable amount of time. Interesting, yeah, because I, I, I've uh, looked at the paper, I think, before this. So I know it's Bayesian, and it's on the cortical surface of the brain. Mm. I know that from the title, but I'm not, <laughs> not ready yet, but I was... Uh, yeah. I will delve into it because, you know, a lot of these interesting data formats coming out, right, much genomics is getting into that uh, field, too, of, like, 3D mm -hmm. high, high C, high Q data. High C, high right. C. But there's also 3D spatial gene expression data coming mm -hmm. out. So cool. Being able to have data either on a slide format, having a tissue laid on a slide format, and then being able to measure the mRNA molecules that are on the slide itself. Interesting. So you have 3D yeah. spatial information. Oh, maybe we can use your... Maybe we can use your Bayesian model to do it because I know that that data is pretty sizable as well. Mm -hmm. like the cortical surface numbers are pretty high for that data. So maybe you'd be able to just like plug and play it in genomics. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. I mean, the one of the things about these Bayesian models is that it requires so much um, customization. And so, you know, it takes kind of ages to develop the model for a particular setting. And I think that's literally the downside to these Bayesian approaches. But um, it's also really exciting. So the tool that we use in the paper is called INLA, and it's uh, a more recent development compared with like MCMC or um, any of these sampling-based techniques. And so it's allowing it's allowing for computation to take place in Bayesian models that where it wasn't really um, possible or feasible before. So I think it's an exciting area and definitely has a lot of applications in the spatial arena. So in terms of the the data analysis that you did for the paper. What kind of tools or methods or packages did you use? Okay, so I think in terms of data manipulation, it's pretty, it's fairly straightforward um, because you're basically working with matrices in functional MRI. And so you are um, reading in this data as like a, a time series um, by like some set of locations. And so, you know, you definitely need to know how to go back and forth between like vectors and matrices to make things really efficient. I think so one of the biggest, one of the most important things in this area is knowing how to use matrices to your advantage and matrix multiplication. And so I guess, you know, as John was as saying, I do some data manipulation, so maybe I'm underselling that. Um, so I think that knowing how to use matrix vector multiplication um, is super important in high dimensional settings. And so that may be an aspect of data science that comes into play in so my linear, work. Linear algebra has some tricks that, that help you on the, oh, yeah. on the long term. Yeah, I, I really wish that I had taken more linear algebra classes. I always try to tell my students, take all the linear algebra classes because you'll, you will want them. But I think it's hard to, hard to understand their relevance when you're taking them maybe as an undergraduate or graduate student. So yeah, that, I, I'm glad you touched on that. So uh, I know you teach uh, a, a bit, right? So you have a lot of students and I'm sure you get questions like, 
I want to get into this field, or I want to do this, or I want to be, maybe, mm-hmm. do you get the question, I want to be a data scientist, how do I get in that? Oh yeah, absolutely. A lot of our students are interested in going into data science. So I teach um, currently at the undergraduate level, I teach a class for majors on linear regression, mm-hmm. and I do introduce them to um, some of the tools that I personally use on a day-to-day basis. So I make sure that they are using ggplot. Um, I'm a big believer in ggplot for its ability to be really flexible and in, in visualizing um, data. And I make sure they're also familiar with dplyr. So those are kind of, to me, the two tools that I want to make sure that they are proficient in before they leave my class in terms of, of data analysis. And so we do a lot with that. Um, and then I've also tried to give them more exposure to coding through some of these um, online online resources that have come available in recent years. Um, and so it's it's sometimes hard to find the time in class to really, you know, allow the students enough time to get exposure to coding. And so I think that these tools that um, have been made available are really are really a great resource for students to be able to spend some time outside of class practicing coding and getting good at it. And I have had a few students who have become really stellar um, kind of data science-y coders coming out of my class, um, you know, certainly mostly due to their own exploration. And so um, we're at Indiana University offering a data science major and um, and, and graduate programs. And so that's Is that something that... Is that out of the stats department? No, that's out of um, the informatics school. But all of the faculty in my in the stat department are affiliated with that program. And so we're, we have a voice, but we're not the only voice. Mm-hmm. And so I think that works well, actually, because it represents... Um, it's a program that represents a diverse set of of viewpoints and of abilities. And I I do think data science encompasses a number of different fields. Absolutely, yeah. So do you yourself, do you consider yourself an academic data scientist? Because you are in academia and you do do some data science. So what do you consider yourself if not? So I generally consider myself an applied statistician. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I, probably just don't self-identify as a data scientist as much, but doesn't mean that I don't do data science. And I I guess I've just never really thought about it because my training is in statistics. So I think of myself, I I identify more as a statistician. And I think probably part of that comes from um, that I'm in a stat department. And so the environment that I'm in really lends itself to, you know, publishing in traditional stat journals, um, you know, thinking more about, the, the methodology, methodological innovation. So certainly um, I care deeply about applications. I love coding. And so I do things in my job that are kind of data science-y, but I wouldn't say it's my primary um, identity. If you had to describe the difference between applied statistician and data scientist, what would that be? I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. Um, <laughs> I know we're asking so, this all the questions. Yeah. Turn it back on this. Diplomatic. <laughs> turn it so I, I, I guess I would think that maybe you're thinking um, or you're more proficient with the tools of data science. So I feel like um, I, I wish I knew more about some of the tools that data scientists are using. But um, when you're focusing more on um, or you're in an environment that's more traditionally statistics, you know, you maybe just aren't spending as much time focusing on those other tools that are out there. 
Yeah, I definitely consider like you. You for sure are a, a, at least right, and and many uh, unapplied statistician. I think you're a lot more, but um, it is a good question because I, I tend to think when I think if someone says I'm an applied statistician, that variability is very high, probably as much as data science, but mm-hmm. um, data scientists. So I, I tend to think for some reason in like pharmaceutical companies doing like phase one through three clinical trials, I think of apply, a lot of applied statisticians in that wheelhouse, even though they definitely are in academia as well. So I agree with you in all respects. The tools the tools you use and maybe the problems you tackle are, are sometimes a bit different, but uh, it's interesting because you do work on um, very complex data, right? So yeah. I mean, it is a matrix, but I mean, it's very, um, Mm-hmm. in the it's sense noisy, of fMRI exactly it's mm-hmm. not it's not your standard um, n by p table where it's yeah. like subjects by like demographics or something yeah now take your point it's you definitely have to be really comfortable manipulating data and dealing with problems in data and being very proficient coder um, and I, th- I think that I just take those abilities as kind of part of the job mm-hmm. of being a very maybe a very specialized applied statistician so I don't know I think it's it's um it's a lot about just the language that we use sure. to describe ourselves yeah. so I I feel like maybe my the type of work I do is very similar to people who do identify as academic data scientists. Maybe we're going to get you on that. You're going to be on that committee more now. <laughs> yeah, that's the, right. The, well, they, they found you out now at your department, so you're going to be on those discussions and meetings, I think, a bit more. So we're not going to have them subscribe to this. So okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, just keep it between you and me. So another question I had kind of as a follow-up. Do you think it's possible for somebody who considers themselves an academic data scientist to sort of be... And, and do well in a stat or biostat or a CS department or an engineering department? I certainly I certainly do think it's possible. Um, and I think it really depends on the type of department. So I, I think that in, or the department itself is what I mean to say, and the culture in that department and the leadership in that department. So I feel like in my department, I feel like I have a lot of freedom to do the kind of work that I'm interested in. And for me, that's um, doing, you know, developing, mostly developing methods and then applying those methods in a very kind of niche area, which for me is is um, high dimensional neuroimaging and publishing in places that will appreciate that work. And so that, that includes things like JASA and um, biostatistics, but um, fundamentally also very much um, needs to include the journalists that are going to reach that audience, like neuroimage and human brain mapping. And so I feel in my department, I have the freedom um, and the, the really the flexibility to choose to do that kind of work. And I don't think that would necessarily be true of all stat departments, but I do think it's true of probably many stat departments. Um, I think the same could be said for CS departments and engineering departments. And I imagine that there's a number of people who identify as data scientists working in those types of, of departments also. Yeah, oh. and you're, you're, a trained, you're a trained engineer, right? I am, yeah. yes. So I come um, to statistics via engineering. Mm-hmm. So do you think engineering as well? Because I think data engineering, I, I never really understood exactly where that would be housed. I mean, it's got engineering in the name, but I always felt like that might be a CS. Thing, but you're constructing. Mm. If you're constructing a digital database, are you, you know, and you're a data engineer, yeah. Because I could, I could just see you making the claim because 
uh, for engineering as well, especially because biomedical engineering, things like that, they work with a lot of data, they do a lot of data analysis. Uh, primarily, I would say the main thing is still MATLAB for them, but I mean, they do a lot of the things we do, just mm -hmm. maybe a different guiding philosophy in the background. Yeah, actually, in my um, in the department where I got my bachelor's and my master's degree, it was a department that actually included statistics, and so you had probably people using R and you know other um, other languages more commonly used by statisticians. So I don't know. I guess I think that you can have people who do data science in any of these fields because. You need people who specialize in different things in any of these types of departments, right? So you need the theoretical um, computer scientists in the CS department just as much as you need the, you know, applied data science-y computer scientists. And I think you need the data science-y statistician and the theoretical statistician in the stat department. So I do think that there is a home for data scientists in all of these disciplines as long as the department is welcoming of that and recognizes that. So I, I know it's not your um, department who runs it, but I might, I might want to ask if like the data science curriculum that you have, I don't know how much you know about it, but like, do you know like how different that is than your, your stat? Um, so I should be more familiar with it, <laughs> but I do, um, I do believe it encompasses more classes. It's, it, I think it's a lot more interdisciplinary. So it's going to include classes from computer science and statistics and other um, divisions within informatics. That makes sense. I mean, that seems what a lot of people are defining data science mm -hmm. in ways is mm -hmm. the intersection of those three, so it makes sense what you'd have. Yeah. yeah. So thinking about students, if a student came to you and said, I want to be a data scientist when I grow up, um, do you have advice on the types of courses or the types of curriculum or the types of programs that they should pursue? Mm -hmm. And whether they should even pursue a master's or a PhD or is a bachelor's enough? Mm -hmm. My guidance personally would be to get a foundation in one of these fields and then to pursue data science as um, as a way to make that more applicable and useful. So, for example, maybe do um, a bachelor's degree in statistics or do a bachelor's degree in computer science and get some really deep skills in one area before necessarily searching out that um, breadth of skills. So I think that one of the concerns that um, some statisticians have about data science, and perhaps this extends to other fields as well, is that you get a shallow understanding of various fields without really having a deep understanding within any one of those fields. And I think that perhaps that is what distinguishes to some degree academic data scientists because you know, you've all um, had to get a PhD in some field, right? And so there's definitely been that depth of understanding. But if you're getting a bachelor's in data science, I don't really know if you have the time to establish that specialization within, you know, or just simply the depth that you would need to really be effective um, in these different areas. So that would be my kind of personal um, preference in terms of how I would advise my students to go about it. But I think there's, there's many paths that you could take. Uh, I would say learn as much as you can. You know, data science is, is a field that continues to evolve. Um, it's not like you're going to have, you know, you're going to have a textbook or a series of five textbooks and once you read them you'll be a data scientist and you'll be able to say that you've learned everything there is to know. I think you're, you have to be willing to constantly 
evolve and constantly learn. And so I think it's almost an attitude, as, you know, as much as it is a degree. Nice. What about the programs, the PhD programs in data science? Do you think that's enough to have a real specialization of the topic of data science? It certainly could be. I don't, um, I'm not as familiar with them as I would need to be to answer the question. Sure. But I, I do think that if you're, if you're spending the time to get a PhD, I, you know, I think certainly the time is there and the opportunity is there to get a lot of depth of knowledge. And yeah. like anything else, it depends on the individual program. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to make sure that whatever you're looking into, make sure they actually have data, right? Make sure data is actually part of the data science, right? So a lot of the tools, a lot of the skills we're learning, I think, are, are applicable in many domains. But if you're not working with data, I don't believe, um, unless unless maybe, unless you could, the, you could, I think, be a theoretical data scientist in some respects where you think about these things at a higher level, but for the majority, I would say it has to have data. Data first mm -hmm. for data scientists in my opinion. So I think you can you can get because you can get these skills I think in physics departments and a lot of other things where people have um, maybe switched or come in from things, but all those fields I think generally work with data. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the importance of getting your hands dirty and practical experience with data can't be understated. So that's, that's actually one thing I really appreciate from my engineering background is that you know, you're always focused on problem solving, you're always kind of dealing with real world, real world problems. Um, in my experience, I had a number of internships where I was you know, dealing with data from different companies. And so I came into graduate school with you know, having had a lot of different experiences working with data. And my feeling to that point was always that you never really understood the data until you got your hands on it. And I do think that's fundamental, um, even for a theoretical data scientist, you know, to have at least some experience doing that because then you have an appreciation for what are the challenges and the nuances. All right. And then the last segment before we say goodbye is the data science dinner party. John, do you want to explain? So yeah, uh, data science dinner party is kind of discussing, if you were at a dinner party, how would you say one thing you did this week to someone who's not a data scientist or you know, a statistician or a PhD mathematician or anything like that? Um, get me anything. Uh, I tend to choose stuff that is definitely more something that's not standard academic thing, maybe in software development that I'll consider something strictly about mm -hmm. data science, but it can be anything about your job. Okay, um, so this week I have been working to apply the method actually that you were mentioning in the in the paper that was published recently, um, the Bayesian's the Bayesian spatial thingy for functional MRI data on the cortical surface. So I was working to apply that method to a new data set, and as I was running through my existing code and adapting it to this new data set. I said, you know, this really is a huge mess and it needs to be wrapped up into functions and that would make things a lot easier. So as I was going through and running the code, I was wrapping that code into functions um, and basically taking the next steps towards having, a, having an actual R package that not only would be useful to myself, but would be useful um, and really essential to anyone who actually wants to use my method. That's nice. really important, yeah. Learn that. So, so speaking of wrapping all your code up into an R package, um, we're ha we have an R package workshop coming up, don't we? Yes, I am so excited about doing this together again. So this is the second year we've done this, and we are doing it as part of the statistical methods and imaging 
uh, conference. So we have the first day of the conference dedicated to this workshop. And basically, this was an idea um, that was just born out of discussions that we were having amongst ourselves and in people, you know, with people in our community um, of, of, of statistician imagers. Uh, that, you know, really a lot of us weren't putting our code out there for people to use. And so we spent all this time developing these, you know, sophisticated methods and we spent all this time showing that they work amazingly and then there's no code for people to use in the majority of cases. It's very hard to, to, to use. Right. So there might be code, but there's not a package or there's a package, but it's not documented. Yeah. And the problem that we found is that there's this huge knowledge gap. And so I felt that in my training, and I think many people have felt in their training, that they're not getting exposure to our package development, um, or at least not sufficient exposure and practice in their graduate studies. And so um, John is this incredible resource within the imaging community and the academic community, um, and has really been, I think, informally training a lot of us on how to do our package development. So we decided to just formalize it and make a workshop and spend a day um, giving people an opportunity to learn how to make our packages and to actually make our packages out of their methods and ultimately to have you know packages come out on CRAN or on Neuroconductor or on Bio GitHub, yeah. Bioconductor, as a, as a product of these workshops. And yeah, so make our methods available. UC Irvine, I think June first. June second. June second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll, I, it's on my calendar. I know. I know when I'm getting there. But uh, yeah, June second, uh, and it's sponsored by yeah, the ASA Stats and Imaging section. And I mm-hmm. think you know we will definitely consider maybe doing some of these at uh, the ENR, the Eastern North American region of mm-hmm. the Biometric Society. That Biometric <laughs> Society also called ENR. That's why we just um, call it ENR. ENR. Yeah. So. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll look into that. I think proposals just came out, or mm-hmm. proposals just opened up for kind of those things. Maybe we'll look into that, too. Yeah, and we'll still um, definitely keep doing this year after year. I think that um, it's an, doing it each year at the at the SMI workshop, as we call it, um, it just gives you an opportunity to kind of build on, on things year after year, even if software development is not a big part of your daily or weekly or monthly, you know, um, tasks as, as an academic. So I'm excited about it um, to work on my own code and also to help other people work on their code and yeah, to so learn from John. We'll, uh, we'll tell everybody how it went. Yeah. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. John? Um, so uh, you know how you update software on your computer. Um, we work in a language that updates pretty frequently. So the stuff I tell the computer what to do, that updated to a different uh, version. And I have things. On, uh, on the cloud that automatically check to make sure my stuff worked like it did before uh, before the version was updated and all that stuff broke so there's a service called Travis that you can say do a bunch of things and check everything out and uh, when the new version of the software came out some things some things broke so we we're putting out some fires um, on the on Travis CI this week nice yeah what about yourself me. Um, so our department, until recently, has not been able to work with our studio on our studio server. We've only been able to use it locally on our computers, and uh, we are now implementing the ability to work with our studio 
on servers and so really excited about that i it's very much in a like a band-aid stage where like you have to do all the right steps to make it work and also we're we're dealing with complications in um, package installation so we're installing these packages in our home directory which also could be conflicted with a different set of packages and so uh, Brian Caffo is sort of taking the a faculty member in our department. Brian Caffo is taking the lead on making this a, a more seamless process. But I'm really excited about the prospect of being able to use our studio server for yeah. uh, with our clusters. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, uh, I know. So Mandy uh, has a has a four month old in in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not not alone. Um, <laughs> definitely chaperone. So I think we're gonna end here. Uh, I want to thank you again. Thank for, you so for much for coming for on our me. show. Congratulations on the new podcast. All right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at correspond auth or my handle is strictly stat and stephanie's is stephanie hicks and you can email us at the corresponding author at gmail.com